mentioning like biological sex or misgendering people or like using the wrong pronouns for people or using the wrong name for someone is the equivalent of physically harming them. Um, like today we hear about if anyone spent like time on political like Twitter, you've heard about the the trans genocide that's happening right now, um, supposedly, which, yeah. right. And using the, these uh, really hyperbolic words of, you know, anything that goes against the ideology is it's genocide, it's violence, it's harm. People are dying because you're saying things that hurt their feelings. That, that really was the, the environment that I was in was, yeah, if you don't say these things, if you don't feel this way, then people are going to die. So you have to believe it and you have to believe it with all of your heart or else you're committing violence against people. Hello and welcome to the program, Woke Up, where we interview those who are uh, brainwashed by today's critical social justice and woke ideologies. And uh, it took them to a place where they didn't want to be. And today we have... Uh, a really intriguing woman who is uh, brilliant. She was educated in a in a very uh, elite Northeastern school. Uh, she's highly trained in data analysis and data metrics. That's what her degree was in. And uh, she really uh, gave herself to gender ideology, which was part of the entire ethos of the university. And uh, she began to see different things that were frustrating to her. And so we want to welcome to the show today, Kaya Willis. Kaya, welcome to Woke Up. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so uh, I just leave it to you. I, I, uh, the one thing that I would just start with is I was reading your, your Substack because you're, you're, you write on Substack a lot and you're very active in Twitter. And you wrote this uh, article. It says, my story as a gender ideologist. And it says, I used to be a leftist. It's difficult for me to admit Looking at it from the outside, it can be hard to understand why anyone would believe such radical and illogical ideas, but it really is like being in a cult. You are taught to censor your actions, your speech, and your thoughts, or you will be severely punished. If you step out of line, you deserve violence and for your life to be ruined. And so I just like to feed that up to you right there because you don't always see that way. You don't always feel that way. So why don't you uh, bring us to... Uh, you know, your background, where you come from and what, what your, what your truth is and what your process has been. Uh, yeah. So my, uh, background, I guess I was raised in Texas. So in a pretty, uh, conservative, uh, religious area. Um, but the, the school that I went to, um, growing up, while it was a, a religious school, it also had a lot of, um, woke ideology in it, a lot of uh, DEI, like diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and really just from the time I was really young, I was taught that I need to put other people's feelings above my own, that other people's truths are the truth, and that I need to, you know, believe other people when they tell you anything about themselves or, or, or respect people's identities and kind of all of that stuff. Um, and so even though I wasn't, I wasn't really raised with specifically uh, gender ideology in my youth, um, those kind of ideas of reality is subjective and everybody's truth is their truth were things that I was taught really young. Um, so when I eventually went to college and I was really introduced to, to gender ideology and 
that there's you know a million genders and biological sex doesn't exist uh i believed it because i thought that that was just the morally correct thing to do at the time was to accept all of these things uh, given that uh, so many people were saying that this is the a correct way to believe um if you're going to be just a good person overall and, and i wanted to be a good person so i i kind of dove headfirst into that belief system of just accepting everything that I was being told. Yes. And, and so during your formative years in the university, uh, as you were exposed to gender ideology, there were certain things that really resonated with you, but then you saw certain things that were frustrating and you had a couple things that happened to you. And so perhaps you can talk a little bit about uh, what was going on and what your pathway was like during your time at the, at the woke university. Yeah. Um, so I guess my first kind of starting to identify as non-binary, uh, came from really meeting other, meeting people at my university who identified that way. And again, with just the accepting their truth as truth, uh, the more that I listened to, to them and kind of their reasons for identifying as non-binary, uh, it it was, I related to a lot of their experiences. Uh, like I grew up kind of a tomboy. Um, I really was at the time, like a really big feminist. So I was really against like gender roles and gender stereotypes and um, kind of having all of those uh, things like about me um, made me more drawn to, to identifying that way. And when I started to think about it and kind of question, oh, maybe I should be calling myself non-binary. Maybe I should be changing my pronouns. There was this immediate affirmation of absolutely you are, you know, don't even question if you're not, you 100% are non-binary. Um, and so that just being told over and over again, absolutely you are. Uh, there, yeah, there's no reason for you to believe that you're not. Um, led me to really believing that that I was, that non-binary was the label that I should be using to, to define myself. Can, can you give a concise definition of what you mean by non-binary? That is a great question. I get asked that a lot. And the the really the problem is that there is no one definition. Um, non-binary is really a term that is used. The Really the definition of non-binary is anyone who wants to call themselves non-binary. Um, <laughs> so there are a lot of different reasons as to why people believe that that's a label they want to take on, but there isn't any one characteristic or trait about you that would make you non-binary. It's just about whether you want to call yourself that or not, or whether you want to be associated with that label or not. Okay. Um, so I consider it to be more of a political term than um, really any of the other letters in like the LGBT. Like you can be gay, you can be trans, um, but there's not really such a thing as being non-binary. It's just whether you want to call yourself that or not. Okay, well, continue with uh, your time in the university. Um, yeah. Uh, so I guess as I was diving deeper and deeper into this, the ideology and really going into the activist part, um, really convincing myself and trying to convince other people that uh, biology doesn't exist, that or biology exists, but it's like a spectrum and male and female aren't really real concepts that are useful. Um, I was yeah going really far down that rabbit hole. And I eventually ended up in the hospital um, I, at, towards the end of my freshman year. 
And I, while I was in the hospital, I realized that I needed a female nurse to take care of me. Somewhere in the back of my mind, even though I had believed in all of this ideology and I was really deep into the activism, I knew that I needed someone with my same biology to take care of me because it would have been dangerous if I had um, someone who was, you know, a man uh, helping me with a lot of the stuff that I was doing. Because I was, I really needed like 24-7 uh, care with everything that I needed, which would mean, um, yeah, needing needing a female to help me. Uh, but yeah, because I didn't have really the concepts of male and female or man and woman solidly uh, like, yeah, solidified in my mind, I had a hard time just conceptualizing what it was I needed and what it was I should ask for and how to do it without being offensive and how to do it while still being an activist. And, you know, how do I ask for, yeah, how do I ask for a female nurse without offending someone, without uh, believing that maybe biology exists? Um, and I was at a point where I was kind of considering almost putting myself in in danger or putting the feelings of the people who um, were working at the hospital or the potential feelings of people working at the hospital over my own safety. And that was a really scary moment when I realized, oh, something is wrong that I'm having to make this decision of my safety versus other people's feelings or my safety versus this ideology. And that was kind of the first moment that I realized I needed to take a step back and really think about what I believed in. You know, just from a, a non-woke person that grew up in a different generation, when you analyze like the history of the world and every culture in the world and even the history of America until the last 10, 10 years or so, that just seems so strange that you wouldn't feel comfortable asking for a female nurse specifically because the rest of the planet would not even think twice about it or so preoccupied that they may hurt somebody's feelings or get it wrong that uh, I can understand why you describe it as somewhat cult-like because that's just kind of weird from the outside looking in. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, you're like, I was so brainwashed at that point that, yeah, I and even after that moment when I kind of I did finally ask for like a female nurse. Um, I got a female nurse, which was which was great. I was so mad at myself and really disappointed that I, I thought that I was a bad person. I thought that I was a bigot. Um, I spent a lot of the time that I was in the hospital just really beating myself up, thinking that I had done something wrong. And that, that I think really is the, the cult um, of, you know, me just being logical and then feeling terrible about it because I betrayed the, the ethos of the, the group that I was in. So what were the things that you were being radicalized in during your, your time at the university and leading up to that? Like what were kind of messages were your peers giving you or are you submitting yourself to to even form this ideology and, uh, and to own it as, for that period of time that you did? So definitely that like sex being a spectrum or sex, biological sex, like not really existing is, is one of the things that was um, pretty common that I would hear or that mentioning biological sex was this the worst thing that you could do because people 
could hurt themselves if you hurt their feelings the wrong way. Um, actually, that probably is the biggest the biggest one is mm. that mentioning like biological sex or misgendering people or like using the wrong pronouns for people or using the wrong name for someone is the equivalent of physically harming them. Um, like today we hear about if anyone spent like time on political like Twitter, you've heard about the the trans genocide that's happening right now, um, supposedly, which yeah. right. And using the, these uh, really hyperbolic words of, you know, anything that goes against the ideology is it's genocide, it's violence, it's harm. People are dying because you're saying things that hurt their feelings. That that really was the the environment that I was in was, yeah, if you don't say these things, if you don't feel this way, then people are going to die. So you have to believe it and you have to believe it with all of your heart or else you're committing violence against people. Wow. That's, that's shocking. Uh, and so did you, then you, you were, it was like late into your freshman year and then you still had more years of the university. Uh, but you had this cognitive dissonance, uh, in some ways you were giving into it, but in other ways you were feeling like this, there's some inconsistencies here. So why don't you talk about your next several years until you graduated, what was going on with you and stuff like that? Yeah. So for the next two years, so yeah, I was, I started uh, college in 2017. I had this experience in the hospital in 2018, uh, right up until 2020, I was really, I was questioning things, but kind of feeling really bad about questioning things. I became really depressed during this time because I was, I had a lot of questions. I was trying to kind of talk to some of my friends about it, talk to some of the people around me about it. Uh, but I got really, really negative feedback. Um, I got called a lot of names. I Some people just completely stopped talking to me for asking questions I shouldn't have been asking. Um, I got gaslit pretty bad um, when questioning some things. So uh, for example, I realized that this ideology shouldn't be taught to kids um, just because it didn't seem at the time, I was thinking it didn't seem like it was fully fleshed out enough. That was my only issue with it in 2019, um, was they didn't seem like these words had enough clear enough definitions to be taught to kids. Um, and so I remember questioning whether it should be taught in middle school or, I guess, earlier than high school. And... I was told that it wasn't happening. No one was, no one, no child was being taught this. Um, it was only being taught at university. Um, and even if it was being taught younger than university, um, everything is 100% scientifically correct and questioning it makes you a bigot. So it was really hard to have conversations with, uh, with people who were so, so head in the sand, like this is 100% correct. There is nothing wrong with anything that's happening here. And if you question it, you're a bigot. Um, so I, yeah, I had a really hard time being in that environment. Um, now these, are, these, these would be the same people that would tend to uh, elevate you because of your intersectionality points. You're an African-American, you're a black woman. 
you're a female and you're also bisexual. So it, it just seems like you have all these intersections that would validate you uh, and, and they would want to hear from you, provided you just speak the, the the party line and and not even question what the agenda might be. Would you? Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, yeah, that is. Um, I, there's a there's a term that people use like the oppression Olympics, um, and it's kind <laughs> of like a meme at this point. But it's also kind of true. Like there is a hierarchy of um, different i guess intersectional like identities or uh, intersectional characteristics and um from my experience at least like non-binary and trans but specifically non-binary is the mo is the most elevated of the identities um so if you start to criticize non-binary um it doesn't all of those other characteristics characteristics that they value so much uh, don't matter anymore um and then kind of trans general trans is like right beneath that so those two together are the most holy of the identities um and yeah it, it doesn't really matter anything else about you once you start to speak out against those and so were, did you find a lot of contradictions within uh, the ideology and the people and the messaging and what you were allowed to say and not say and what was right and what was not right. It, it just seems like it just sets itself up uh, to really cause a lot of cognitive dissonance and estrangement from yourself and from others and walking on eggshells. And maybe you can talk some a little bit about practically how, how does the fruit of this cult manifest in the day-to-day -day life of the average person uh, amongst your friend group? Yeah. Uh, so with, yeah, specifically with, with the gender um, stuff, the uh, probably the biggest day-to-day -day is, uh, would be pronouns. Uh, when I was in, in school, every, well, at the beginning of like this, the semester, everyone would introduce themselves and introduce themselves with their pronouns. So they would go through like the pronoun rituals, but there are, there were people that I knew whose pronouns would change or their the, what they wanted to be called would change their name or their pronouns. And it could be day to day. It could be week to week um, where someone introduces, you know, this person introduces themselves and they're like, my name is I don't know, John and I go by he, him. And then the next week they're like Jeanette and they want to be she, they. And then the next week they're uh, Jada and they want to be she, her. Um, and you have to keep up with all of these pronouns and how they're changing or else you're a bigot and you're harming people and people are dying. Um, there are there were people that I met who were like, I want to be called she, her 20% of the time and they, them 40% of the time and he, him, whatever else percent of the time. And if you don't use them in that ratio, then you're hurting people. Um, and it just, it, it really starts to get ridiculous um, with some of the things that people will ask you to do, but you, you have to kind of go along with it or else, again, you're considered, you're considered to be a bigot who's, who's harming people. Um, but obviously like people mess up. And especially when you're changing your pronouns and your ratios of your pronouns day to day or week to week, but the expectation that you're supposed to know all of these things 
And you also aren't supposed to ask people too many times about their pronouns because that's too offensive as well. Um, so that was like a big walking on eggshells where like you don't even know what to refer to someone as when they're not in the room because they could have changed their pronouns um, since you talked to them yesterday. And um, if you get it wrong, then people are going to jump on you. Like that was a big... Uh, a big anxiety inducing situation, like any social situation when you're talking about someone who identifies as, as trans or non-binary was pretty rough. So it, it, it reminds me kind of during the time of the, when the George Floyd protests engulfed our society, I remember talking to some people about uh, racism and structural racism. And, and for me to get in terms in touch with uh, elements of my own racism. And, and then I was instructed, but just don't ever ask a black person. Uh, and I'm like, well, how do you, how do you learn? How do you know how black people might be feeling and by what I'm doing or saying without being able to ask them and get feedback? You know, I mean, I thought that was a really weird pedagogy. It was just like, do the work. Uh, but you, don't you dare ask a black person. And I'm like, okay, well, that seems kind of weird, but it seems kind of similar. Just like, shut up, get in line, just obey. No questioning. Uh, you being a, uh, a data analysis probably looks at, at hard facts and, and the science behind things. So it's like you can't even use that area of your brain that you're highly trained in and and you're gifted at. Would, would you agree with some of that? Or yeah, absolutely. I think that the comparison to the BLM was spot on. That's exactly how it how it is. How you can't uh, you're not supposed to ask questions and and yeah, with with data, um, there was this really weird. Data is used a lot in this ideology, but it's very misinterpreted, um, I guess I would like to say. So I so I have um, experience with data, but I definitely would, I used a lot of bad data practices when I kind of believed a lot of this stuff to cherry pick uh what studies I wanted to follow, what studies I didn't want to follow, what data was accurate, what data wasn't. Um, typically what you would do in, in this specific mindset is if the data supports the ideology, then that's good data. If the data doesn't support the ideology, then it's bias, white supremacy data, or it's, you know, the, the data is bigoted. Um, <laughs> and, the, the, and the study is, is bad and it was, uh, the study was done by I don't know a white man, and that means it's bad. So um, you you have the yeah, you come up with excuses as to why certain data is bad, and then you accept the data that supports your ideology, even if that data actually was uh, collected in a way that doesn't follow like good data practices. Yeah, I mean I, I can give like one example. I, I don't know so much about uh, uh, gender ideology necessarily, uh, but. For instance, uh, with detransitioners and and people that uh, undergo those uh, transition processes of their of their sexuality, all of it's given through WPATH, which is this organization, and the affiliates are primarily medical people uh, that are in the industry. The president of WPATH that sets the policy uh, boasts on her website that she's uh, done over two thousand vaginoplasties, if that's the way you pronounce the word, and. Uh, so on the one hand, the president and their organization sets the policy, but at $10,000 a pop, uh, they're the ones that are coming up with the data that only 1% are dissatisfied. 
well, who's funding that? What's the agenda behind that? And then when you go to Reddit, there's detransition groups of, you know, with 46,000 people and all over the place, there's these detransitioners coming out. <clears throat> and so just doing the math, it's, you know, you're, you're a data person, that'd be statistically impossible to only have 1% dissatisfied. But So who's giving that data? What's the agenda there? And I'm sure it's very similar with uh, some of the other studies that you are referring to, you know, uh, with uh, gender ideology as such. Yeah, with the detransitioner data specifically, like how they're collecting that data, because I've, I've looked into this a little bit. Yeah. I know that one of the big issues with how they're collecting that data is that their follow-ups are like three to six months after the surgeries. So typically people who are detransitioning, they detransition maybe a year, two years, three years afterwards when they're starting to feel that regret. But those numbers aren't being captured. They're saying, oh, after three months after the surgery, when they haven't even like fully recovered yet, there's no detransitioning. Therefore, there's no such thing as a detransitioner. And that's not what's happening. It's just that that time period when people are detransitioning, they're not collecting that data or they're ignoring those people because they don't fit into the specific time window. So it's there's definitely this weird finagling of the data happening um, in that. And it seems like you can't really bring logical arguments because the people that are uh, embraced by this virus, uh, they don't want reason or rationale. They moved away from enlightenment thinking and science and debate. And it's just an agenda that you must buy into and they freak out if you disagree with them. And so I don't know how that's helping our society whatsoever to really uh, set great policy decisions for the common good of all of us. Yeah. the I mean, if you really want to see how detached people are from reality, like all you have to do is ask the, the question that everyone's been asking, like, what is a woman? What is a man? What is non-binary? You know, people who believe in, in, in gender ideology, they don't, they don't even want to define the terms that they're using. So like you said, how, how can you create policy or how can you come to a rational conclusion as to how we should, how we should do really anything when it comes to, to sex and uh, what, when you can't even define what male and female or man and women are. Um, and it's, yeah, logic doesn't really matter. It's all about <clears throat> how, how people are feeling in the moment, whether it makes them feel good or doesn't feel good. And that that's the end all be all of how policies are being decided, which is really, yeah, scary for just the direction of how our, where our country is going. Yeah. One of your articles that I read uh, on your Substack I thought was fascinating when uh, there was uh, these focus, this focus group you did where you had a, a significant, a relatively large group of people uh, and they were invited to a Zoom meeting and you broke it into half hour segments with uh, people that were watching the Matt Walsh, What is a Woman? And then they'd break down into groups and then they would have dialogue about it. And most of the people were buying all the gender ideology. And uh, you were talking about uh, how people self-censor and how what their response was. So I think it's that was fascinating. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the, the sociological dynamic that you observed uh, you know, during this uh informal study that you were doing. Yeah. Um, and I think this is, this isn't even just in the study. I think in, in general, um, well, I mean, first I can talk about study. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> um, we, it was, and I guess it wasn't really like a formal study. It was kind of a group of just people who are interested in watching the, the movie who came together and watched it over uh, like a big zoom call. 
And then we split out into breakout groups uh, through Zoom to just chat through what um, what we were seeing, what we were thinking about it. Um, and in each group, we yeah, we split up every I said, 30 minutes or so. And in each group that I was in with different people from the meeting, um, everyone kind of agreed that uh, women's adult human female, all of these people that Matt Walsh was interviewing were kind of crazy and were saying some really ridiculous things. Uh, but then when we all came back together into our large group with everyone, the same people who were kind of mocking the, the uh, these activists and were saying, oh yeah, they're so ridiculous, uh, suddenly were very, very quiet because there was a person on the call who identified as trans. Um, and this person who identified as trans was like, let me tell my truth. Let me say what um, what I think a woman is. A woman is anyone who identifies as a woman. And everyone kind of just nodded along and was like, oh, yes, of course, yes. Um, which was the exact opposite of what they were saying in the small groups. But um, there definitely was this vibe of not wanting to hurt this person's feelings, not wanting to make this person feel uncomfortable. And so people stopped saying what they were saying in the smaller groups. And I, I've noticed this trend not only in this one group, but I think kind of in in general. Like when I was in universities, we were talking about the the kind of the social uh, environment there. I thought when I was in university that every single person that I was in class with, every single person that I saw believed in all of this gender stuff. And I think after the experience that I had with the what is a woman kind of group, I realized there's probably are a significant number of people that I was in, in school with, in class with, who didn't believe in it, but were just going along with it because of fear of either social ostrac social like ostracization that, that I totally said that word wrong <laughs> um, but yeah being like a social outcast or hurting someone's feelings um and yeah I I think that's it's one of the reasons why this ideology and this movement has progressed as much as it has is that people who I don't think that most people agree with it, but I think that most people are afraid to speak out and are afraid to say what they're really feeling. And that's yeah, a big reason why this is spreading as, as fast as it is, is these people are just trying to keep up with niceties and make people feel good. And they aren't really saying what, like the elephant in the room, the emperor has no clothes, you know, this is ridiculous. I find that absolutely fascinating because I, I myself a, a few years ago was in a, a social event and I know that this uh, one person is a real uh, ally of uh, the LGBTQ community and there was a group of people, I was having a drink and just talking and uh, that person was there and then we're referring to another person and I I caught myself uh, referring to them by, by saying, oh yeah, they're, they're, they were uh, assigned uh, this gender at birth and I specifically adopted this language from the sociological pressure referring to somebody else who's non-binary or trans or whatever they identify as in front of the ally in order to not be offensive or create a, a social conflict. So I find myself, and I've got a pretty strong personality, I'm 
closing in on 60 years old. I'm pretty secure in who I am, but I even find myself self-censoring and, and buying into it uh, per se. And uh, you multiply that culturally. It's just like you're saying, the emperor has no clothes. And I think that's the same type of tactics that were used in, uh, in with the communist movements that everyone, you know, were forced to tell lies and, and people weren't allowed to speak the truth uh, for fear of, being sent to a gulag or ostracization or not even getting their kids into the right college or losing their jobs. And I, I see that same spirit acting all through throughout the United States. And I think uh, we as a, or we're going to lose the West. I think we just need to really uh, not be a jerk, but let's just speak truth, you know, speak truth, just, you know, you know, versus just acquiescing for fear or fear of getting punished or fear of getting canceled or fear of getting fired I think, you know, it's going to take, that's going to happen and it is happening, but I think uh, we need to develop the, the sociological mass where it's not acceptable anymore to do that kind of stuff. Otherwise we're going to descend into more and more chaos and craziness and in utter insanity as a culture, you know? And, uh, and so I've, I find that study that uh, even though it was anecdotal and even though it was a small group, I find it compelling because I, I see that, I see that all around us in society, you know? Yeah. And you said it's, it's more than just, like you said, more than just the, the gender stuff. It's, it's all of, well, I guess not everything, but it's, it's a lot of aspects of society. I mean, we saw it with, um, or at least I saw it with COVID as well. Um, a lot of people were upset or un unhappy with how the government was really pushing people to to get vaccinated, how they shut down all of the jobs and uh, for not letting people really leave their homes, the vaccine passports. Um, but a lot of people were afraid of being called an anti-vaxxer or being seen as a science denier. And so they kind of went along with it and either didn't say anything or, you know, went fully and got all of the vaccinations Um and even if they, they didn't really want to, just because they were afraid of what other people were going to say or of what um, punishments could come down from from the government. And I think I think the social fear um, is something that I've I've think I've gotten over um, over the last few years. But I'm I'm very concerned about the way that the government is getting involved with a lot of these things. Um including the the gender stuff um like i i don't know if you've heard about how in canada they've passed laws where misgendering is now illegal yes. and there are yeah activists in the u.s who are trying to pass similar laws to make misgendering a hate crime um they're trying to you know change title nine to uh force colleges to change their rules about how they handle um, biological sex and gender identity. And so that, that movement from, you know, social, uh, issues or social like punishment for going against the grain to government punishment is really, really scary and seeing how fast that's moving. Yeah. And, and even some female athletes that know that if men were uh, competing in their sports, they would not be able to compete with the top male athletes in their field. But yet they're, it seems like even though they have successful careers 
and they wouldn't like it if men came in. They affirm that men should be able to to play in their sports because of the sociological pressure. And it seems like a lot of these uh, uh, female athletes uh, that are supporting this are doing it out of fear and virtue signaling and to, and to look woke and to look cool and progressive. And But they, deep down inside, they know it's not fair. When you look at the sprinting records, uh, the 100-yard dash up to the marathon, on average, the world record at the highest level is about 9% difference between males and females along all categories. So how can you take the, the top uh, uh, females in the world and comp compete even with uh, the top 2% of men? The men will win. It's just, it's just biology on so many different levels. But yet uh, we're, we're pushing these agendas, and it's really absurd. It's really an erasure of femininity and all the incredible progress uh, feminists have made in our society and it's like they're looking to undo all that, which I think is abhorrent and, and wrong. And I think we need to step out and just say, Hey, this is unfair. This is just not right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the sports thing, it should be such an obvious uh, place where this ideology fails. Right. But so many people on the left really do believe that taking hormones, like, undoes every aspect of your biology yeah um i've seen people who even believe that um the like surgeries yeah, like if you're a male and you get um, the vaginoplasty surgery you can have children and become pregnant like the amount of just i mean i hate the word misinformation but like <laughs> just the lies are being spread in order to push this agenda the anti i mean the real anti-science that that's being pushed is just boggling. And the fact that so many like biologists and medical professionals won't speak out either again, because they're afraid of the, the mob coming after them or what the social implications will be. Um, it's just really, really unfortunate. And it, it makes me scared that especially, yeah, so many ex people who are considered experts are, are falling into this um, as well as, you know, regular citizens who, who, who may not know any better um, as to what the data is saying. But, but when you have very educated experts pushing, pushing lies, that's when it becomes really scary. Yeah. And, and this virus will not stop. I mean, it will, it seeks to take over every institution, churches, sports, uh, gender, it, it it will not stop until we stop it. And so whether or not you're afraid right now, it's easier now to take a stand than it will be five, 10 years down the road when they get more control and less free speech and less uh, ability to get together and speak your mind. Uh, they're going to get more and more power until we break it, until we, we say no. And so doctors, you need to speak the truth. You know, educators, you need to speak the truth. And yeah, th there will be casualties but uh, otherwise we're going to lose our society because this is a virus and it, it seeks to control and is authoritarian. And so you, you're, you're a young woman that was totally brainwashed, but yet uh, by your writings, uh, by your Twitter account, uh, the, the things that you're communicating uh, publicly, uh, it seems like you've been totally set free. And so perhaps you can give some uh, hope or some clear messaging to people that are, considering the ideology or those that are stuck in it or those affected by it, what gave you the victory? How did you go from being a radicalized uh, 
feminist and to totally uh, warped uh, with gender ideology to being totally set free now and a voice against everything that that you uh, had succumbed to in your own life. And likely it's just a very short time because you're still so young. So what happened to you and how did you get so, uh, set free and do a, a complete 180 degree turnaround? Yeah, I think it was really, I had to kind of start from scratch. Um, but what, when I realized that there are things that I believe that are conflicting with reality. There are things that I believe in my mind that are conflicting with what I'm seeing with my own eyes. So starting from like scratch, start with what do you see? What do you observe? Like what are the realities that yeah, are exist in, in the world? Ooh, in the camera. Um, and then you build your beliefs based on that, that foundation, right? What is real? Um, and when I started to kind of do that, instead of, you know, ideology first, reality second, I was able to just reground myself in, in, yeah, just reality and what's going on. And things became so much clearer, you know, everything uh, at the time felt so complicated and like, I didn't really understand what I was talking about, but I, I knew I was supposed to believe it anyways. But now the things that I believe, I I believe them because I know that they're true, right? They're not true because I just believe them. Um, and so it's a lot easier for me to explain what I believe. It's a lot easier for me to come to certain conclusions. It's a lot easier for me to just navigate life now that I, you know, Everything that I, I believe, I know that I can back up with facts, with proof, with just, yeah, with reality itself. Was your deliverance uh, from the ideology, was it relatively quick or was it like, how, how long did it take? Was it one day to the next or did it take uh, several years to get through it? So with, uh, with gender specifically, so I had that first wake up moment in 20, or the first, I don't even know wake up moment, but that first, uh, realization in 20 I like the wake up moment because it's, okay. it fits perfect with woke up the program. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first wake up moment when I kind of started questioning things in 2018, um, I walked away completely from gender ideology in at the beginning of 2020 um, with with COVID. Um, and it would be really because I was forced to go home. Uh, I was removed from that environment. And went home for like eight months or something because all the colleges were shut down and just having that separation really gave me room to breathe room to think through a lot of things and that was when I finally was like I'm done with with all of this um gender stuff and then with with full wokeness and some of the other things I believed um, which we didn't really touch on but um some of the things about race and other woke stuff it, it took a little bit longer with with those uh but i fully walked away from the left in 2021 so it took me three years to to undo everything um and and the gender stuff took the longest it took about two you know i just have one last question that came to mind while you were talking because you are very winsome you're delightful you're kind-hearted and i'm sure you've always had a lot of friends whether you it was during your woke period or your non-woke period 
there's a, an attraction that you bring to people and a genuine uh, empathy and kindness uh, for them. And so when you started to get free, you, you had a circle of friends and influence and you began to uh, share from different perspectives. And some people probably got really mad at you. Some people canceled you, probably said bad things to you. But there might have been some people that you influenced uh, to a certain level. Maybe you can just share like uh, what kind of advice would you give for somebody uh, that is leaving and how do they talk to their woke friends and like what works and what doesn't work? Where did you find success and what would be a warning uh, you shouldn't even waste your time? Do you have any advice for somebody the dealing day-to-day -day with uh, loved ones or family members or friends or coworkers or co-students uh, that are that could give them success or those that just avoid it because it's not even worth it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of my friends. I, I mean, especially with just how, how far into it I was, a, a lot of my friends didn't talk to me at the time. They Some of them still don't talk to me. Uh, but there were definitely some people who I talked to who – um, I said, uh, you know, I don't think I believe in, say, I don't believe in non-binary identities. And their response was, oh my gosh, I felt the same way. I'm so happy someone else is saying it. Oh, wow. um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, if you're afraid of, of that, uh, that negative feedback, you might get some, but you'd be surprised, I think, with how many people agree um uh, but don't but are just too afraid to say it and need that reassurance that they're not alone and that there's somebody else who 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 agrees with them i think that's really what i needed when i was going through this was was just someone to kind of reassure me that i wasn't going completely crazy yeah, exactly. and so yeah um, i think being being that person for someone um can be so so important um and yeah it it can be a a shot in the dark. Sometimes people react well. Sometimes people react poorly. But um, but yeah, there. I think there's more people out there that that are just afraid to speak out. That that need that little reassurance. Okay, so you write and you're active on on, on Twitter. You're very articulate. You're you're very clear minded in the way you think. And so, what motivates you? Like, what's your what's your goal for our society and how, how do you fit into it? And what's the messaging you want to carry? So I'm going to give you the last word here to, to exhort our audience, but to share more about yourself and what you're currently doing and what your passion is and, and how, uh, what your exhortation would be for everybody that's going to watch this show. Yeah, I, I guess my goal is to help people um, really understand what's, what's, real and what's not real um helping people who are non-woke maybe understand what's going on with with wokeness a little bit more and then hopefully helping people who are woke kind of see that uh what they believe in isn't isn't really true uh i i think that we need and and also hopefully to inspire people to speak out more um i i really think that our our society needs just more people who are speaking out and a lot of people are afraid, um, but I I try to yeah hopefully inspire people to to speak out. It's not that bad <laughs> when you finally start speaking out. It's actually very freeing. Um, oh, and what was the other question that you asked me? 
uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> like like what, what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and what your what your vision is for your own life in terms of this culture war and your involvement. And then also uh, the what you gave is an exhortation for people to, you know, what they should be doing right now, speaking out and being aware and and just discerning between the lies and the truth. So just wanted to give you the, the last word and uh, along any of those lines that you want. And maybe you can tell people how to get a hold of you and subscribe to your Substack and and uh, just let you uh, give us the final exhortation. So you're, you're doing great. It's been a great interview. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. So um, right now, yeah, I'm, I'm very active on social media. Uh, I'm on Twitter and on TikTok. My uh, handle is growing to truth. Um, I also have a Substack called Data Over Dogma. Um, and the links to those are in my uh, all of my social media um, bios and profiles. Um, and uh, yeah, so going forward, I guess I yeah I really I want to keep spreading the message that we need to come back to come back to reality, come back to logic and truth. And yeah, I hope that anyone who's watching, um, if if you are afraid to to speak out, or if you're afraid of uh, you know what might happen when you start speaking your mind or speaking the truth. I yeah I I promise you it it can be a little bit hard to navigate some of those social situations, but you will feel so much freer and so much better when you're yourself versus when you're pretending to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. And when you're pretending to be somebody else for people who don't really like you for who you are, uh, like those relationships are not real. And when you find, you know, better social circles or when you find people who, who support you for, for who you are, that those are real relationships. And so, yeah, I just, I encourage people to, you know, think for yourself, uh, search for truth and reality. And, and hopefully when we all start to do this, uh, things will start to turn up for the better. Well, Kaya, I so much appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And you are a, a great inspiration. You're, you're, you're making us all feel brave, uh, those listening. And I feel brave. I feel more encouraged now than, than ever to continue to speak the truth and love and love people, uh, but to just don't buy into it, uh, things out of fear. So thank you for making me brave and, and the rest of our audience. And may God continue to bless you, give you clarity for the future. And may your writing career be prosperous and, and all your endeavors. And so thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was this was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Okay, well, you take care. Thanks.